0: The congregation, please open to the book of Jude. Book of Jude, we'll be looking at verse three. Please join with me in prayer to our God. Heavenly Father, we now come before Thee once again, O God. We thank Thee for the singing of praises unto Thee, the meditation of salvation which we have in our Savior, O Thou, our tender lover of our soul, Jesus. We thank Thee for the Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, we ask Thee, To now guard us from error to apply Thy Word to our hearts. O God, without Thee we can do nothing. Send us not on a fool's errand, O Lord, but increase our faith, increase our commitment to Thee, to Thy Gospel. Help us contend for the faith Help me, this unprofitable servant of Thine, to preach Thy Word with power, fluency, and fervency, to honor Thy Son, to honor what Thou hast done, O Jesus. Help us to see Thee more. Please help us, Father. In Jesus' name, Amen. Jude, verse 3. The title of our sermon this Lord's Day is Earnestly Contending for the Faith. Let's read Jude 3. The Word of God reads Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Dear congregation, we have often examined the current state of the evangelical church in America, our current evangelical culture. We have weighed it, we have measured it, and we have found it wanting. We know the issues, we know the errors, the heresies that have crept in unawares, amongst the American professing church. We know its many capitulations and its many denials of historic Protestant orthodoxy. And I do not believe that it is, it is unfair for me to say that the evangelical church lost every battle it fought in the 20th century. Therefore, we shall not spend much time today looking once again at how many even reformed, in scare quotes, churches are inundated with Black Lives Matter support, cultural Marxism, support for celibate queer brethren, works-based salvation under the guise of lordship salvation, and all manner of aberrant, unorthodox, and ahistorical Doctrine. We shall not survey the fact that seemingly most evangelical church services look more like a seminar in a Gomorrah cultural center than a worship service of the New Testament church under the lordship of Jesus Christ. But we can ask how? How has this happened? The faith which was once delivered unto the saints, has been abandoned, by and large. Its glorious doctrines and practices have been left in their dust-covered Bibles. And new doctrines and practices have been taken from modern pop culture. The evangelical church has been increasingly ignorant and increasingly uninterested in biblical doctrine for roughly a century. That's how. But we know our Lord Jesus' mandate that we must worship God in spirit and in truth. John 4.24 Therefore, sound doctrine is essential. A return to the faith once delivered is essential. It's the only thing that can resuscitate the professing church, in my opinion. The scriptures call biblical orthodoxy simply the faith. The faith here in Jude 3. This faith, this set of characteristic, particular doctrines was delivered unto the church. She did not make them up as she pleased, as she went along. Rather, these doctrines were given to her and came to her from God. God through the writings of the prophets and the apostles. And she received them as from the hand of God himself. Jude wrote his letter to encourage Christians to persevere in sound doctrine and godly living. That's why he wrote. He wrote so that they would not be led astray by the false teachers within the professing church itself. He wrote so that they would boldly continue on in the bloody warfare that is the Christian life. Now in war, as one soldier was told by his officer, we must remember three things in war. How wars ought to go. You've been trained a certain way and here's how war should go. How wars do go, how they actually go. They never go the way they're supposed to go. They're bloody, they're messy, they're unpredictable. And why we are fighting them. So how wars are supposed to go, how wars actually do go, and why we are fighting. Wars never go how they ought. And the same is true in the threefold war, which the Christian fights against sin, Satan, and the world. Christians ought to live staunchly holy lives, strict holy lives, in complete conformity to Jesus Christ and His commandments. That's idealistic. That's what we are supposed to do. That's how it ought to go. Never turning from the left or to the right in their conduct or in their beliefs. That's how it should go. But we know that the Christian life never does go this way, does it? Thus, Christians must remember that they are fighting this war under the leadership of their captain, the captain of their salvation, Jesus Christ, and that they are fighting for his honor, his glory, and eternal life. That's what will motivate us, exhort us, and strengthen us to continue on. The Apostle Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.18, This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. But what is the warfare that Timothy is to wage? What is he fighting for? Well, in the next verse, Paul tells him that his warfare consists in holding the faith and a good conscience. Sound doctrine, sound living. That's what the war consists in. This is what we are to contend for. This is why Jude tells his readers, Beloved, when I when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. This battle, this warfare, which we are to contend, is for nothing else than the common salvation which believers all partake in. Now, in many sermons, especially as of recent, as the country we live in continues to unfold and unravel, we have told you how necessary it is to contend for the faith. But in this sermon, we shall look at how you are to contend for the faith. Three aspects of contending for the faith against false teaching. First, what it is to contend. What is contending? Number two, what saints are contending for. And lastly, number three, how saints contend. First, what it is to contend. Contend, the word means to exert mighty and concerted effort. And it is most accurately captured in our version before us earnestly contend. Earnestly contending involves a couple things. First, conviction. If we are to earnestly contend, we need conviction. To fight for a cause, we must be convinced of the cause, convicted that it is a good cause. We who know, love, and serve the Lord Jesus Christ have the greatest cause, dear believer, in all the world to contend for. When we wear ourselves out holding fast and standing boldly for the truth as it is in Jesus, we are not laboring for some worldly cause, but for the cause of Christ. The pure doctrine of the word we are contending for. The power of God and the gospel we are contending for. The only salvation for a dying world is what we are contending for. It is a cause for which we have no shame and as Christians have much jealousy and joy. Jude was convicted that the gospel of Jesus Christ was the only salvation for all who believe and was thus willing to exhort the saints, once again, to contend for it. No one is ashamed of a cause that he considers to be great, is he? If it's a cause that he gives himself to, he's not ashamed of it. The Apostle Paul said in Romans one sixteen, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Romans 1.16. Paul was able to suffer much in his battle for the gospel because he had great conviction, great certainty. In 2 Timothy 1.12, he writes this, "...for the which cause I also suffer these things," the gospel. "...nevertheless, I am not ashamed," For I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day, the day when he is assaulted by Satan, and temptation, and ridicule, and death. Oh, dear believer, dear believer, are we convicted? Are we convicted that the cause of Christ is... Worth suffering and sacrificing all. Do we consider it but a small price to pay for so great a cause as our saviors? Can we say, dear believer, with Paul in Philippians 3.8, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. Can we say that? Do we consider it a greater gain to us to have the whole world, as we discussed at length last week, to have the whole world or to lose our very life and gain Christ? Which one do we consider? Which one are we convicted is greater? Truly, dear Christian. This takes great conviction of the truth and great contending for the truth on our part. Next, diligence. To contend, you must have diligence. Jude says that he gave all diligence to write unto the saints. Because Christians have a threefold enemy, they must be diligent in their fight. Indwelling sin within us. constantly breaks forth within us. Just when we think we have killed one sin or got it somewhat under control, another one raises its ugly head somewhere else on the field of battle. Another front is open to fight upon. Sin causes us. Our inward sin and commission of sin and temptation to sin causes us to slacken in our fight, to become sloth become complacent and apathetic to start making excuses for our sin. And if left unchecked, our sin causes us to grow disinterested in the things of God. Satan continually deceives us as Eve was deceived in paradise. That sin is not such an evil as God says it is. It's not such an evil thing and that God has not really dealt that honestly or fairly or lovingly with us in his commandments, has he? The world tempts us to walk in its ways. The false luster of its free indulgence in sin appealing to the uncrucified flesh remaining within us. That's the threefold enemy. Truly, we must be diligent and watchful in our battle. For sin lieth at our door, and its desire is for us. We must be diligent, because Satan prowls around like a roaring lion looking to devour us. And the world attempts to lure us away with its fleeting lusts and passions. Diligence is required. In the Christian faith, even, we have to be diligent. In the Christian church, the professing church, because one heresy is simply replaced with a new one. And old heresies are constantly resurrected in new garb. We must be diligent like the watchmen on the walls. We must be diligent in knowing the truth so that we be not deceived with unorthodoxy, whatever form it decides to take. This requires that we be diligent in our study of what? The Scriptures. For how can we know God if we do not listen to His voice in the Scriptures? We must be diligent in our attending upon the means of grace. Lord's Day. Paul tells Timothy that he is to give attendance to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine, 1 Timothy 4.13, and that he is to take heed unto doctrine that he might save both himself and they that hear him, 4.16. Now, true contending, true contending for the truth is not simply attacking error. You go out searching for error and you just attack it. No. But it's a holding fast also to that which is good. It's not simply attacking error. It's also holding fast to that which is good, that which is true. We must attack error within ourselves before we can attack it without. We are to, as Paul says, endure hardness or hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 2.4 This means that we do not entangle ourselves, as he says, with the affairs of this life, but that we aim to please Him who hath made us to be soldiers for Him, namely, our Captain, Jesus Christ. Let's be diligent. Truly, dear Christian, our our warfare requires great bravery and great strength, both of which come to us from where? by setting our eyes on God above, alone. We must pray as that great contender for the faith John Calvin used to pray. Cor meum tibi offero domini et prompte et sincere. Meaning, my heart I offer to thee, O Lord, both promptly and sincerely. That is a prayer of diligence. That helps us as we constantly look out as watchmen in our own heart, and in the world, and in the church. Second, what saints are contending for? So what it is to contend, and now, what saints are even contending for? A couple of points. They're contending for the common salvation, Jude says. Jude writes concerning the common salvation. In other words, that salvation which all believers freely partake in by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That which we are to contend for is no mean or base thing, but the very salvation of hell-bound sinners. We are contending, dear believer, For the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what you're contending for. The common salvation. The faith. Is there anything greater for which we can give ourselves, dear congregation? I can think of none. In this battle, we are not fighting for our rights, nor our country, as noble as that may be. But something far greater. Far greater. The honor of our blessed Jesus, the Lover of our souls. When we contend for the faith, dear believer, we contend for the very way of salvation and not just any salvation, but our salvation and the salvation of our brethren. That's what we're contending for. Contending for the very way that any of us have ever been saved, the common way all believers have been saved. That's what we're contending for. What greater thing is there to defend? A gospel so glorious, so rich, so free, is surely worth suffering a few temporary blows. This light and momentary affliction is not even worth comparing with the glory that shall be revealed in us. The free grace of God is free and common to all who believe. There's no reason why one is saved over another within themselves. No reason. All are saved by the same glorious God in the same glorious way. Namely, in the atoning sacrifice of His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, who poured out His blood upon the cross, living a perfect life for His people who shall believe upon Him. And he shall be their God, and they shall be his people. Think for a moment on those words I just said. Now, you have thought this. What an honor it is to defend such a gospel. What an honor to boldly stand up for this cause. It is not divisive to contend for the truth of the gospel, but it is deplorable to back down from defending and contending for the gospel. It is not divisive to contend for the gospel, but it is deplorable to back down from contending for the gospel. For it is our only salvation and our only hope. Second aspect of what we are to contend for is the faith once delivered unto the saints, Jude says. We are not to contend for just any religious thing we like, any aspect of doctrine, and pick one, and that's our thing, but we are to contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. By this, Jude means the particularities of scriptural doctrine. To boil down the teachings of the Bible, as many do in our day, to some mere Christianity, In order to establish some false foundation upon which Papists, Protestants, and Orthodox can stand on, is to undo the truth of them entirely. The scriptures, dear congregation, actually say something. They actually say something. And what they say, they actually say. They say things particularly and intentionally. On that account we can have fellowship and lesser or greater amounts of unity with other true believers meaning those who partake in the common salvation. We can have fellowship and greater or lesser degrees of unity with brethren who differ with us on non-gospel issues, but this does not dismiss us from our duty to contend for the specific teachings Of the scripture. Just because I can love my Arminian or Presbyterian brother does not mean I can set aside the clear and precise doctrines of the Bible, nor that I can have the same amount of unity with both. Our holding to the true teachings of the Bible does not make us better than them, but it does make us more faithful than them. This is why doctrine matters. Give all attendance unto sound doctrine, the Bible tells us, dear believer. Now, you have a Bible, as do all Christians, at least in this country. You may open its pages and find out what is in it. We do not have to be apologetic or ashamed for contending for the truths laid out in Scripture. You don't. You have to be apologetic. You don't have to be ashamed. As Spurgeon once said, if the Arminian cannot see the free, electing grace of God in their Bible, that we cannot help them. They need an optometrist, not a theologian. If our paedo-baptistic brethren cannot clearly show us their doctrine from Scripture, then we are under no obligation to honor it, nor to contend for it. We have often heard it said, doctrine divides, but Christ unites. That's true. That's very true. Christ unites believers together in his doctrine, which divides falsehood from the truth. Turn around on him. Remember that the doctrines of the Word of God were, as Jude says, delivered, delivered unto us. They are not our invention, or at least they shouldn't be. Therefore, we cannot add to them, nor can we take away from them. We must contend for that which is there. Rather, we must contend for what they say not tweak them, not be ashamed of certain parts. It is God's word, God's truth. We must simply hold to it. He'll defend it. He'll defend it. I think it was C.S. Lewis who said you don't have to defend a lion. You simply open the cage. We cling to the truths of the word of God. He shall defend them. And actually that'll be his means, one of them of defending them. Simply because Christians may disagree on some things does not nullify what is true. Just because they can't agree on what certain aspect is true or not of a particular doctrine does not mean that there is no truth there. God means exactly what He says in His Word. And His Word is true. A third way that we are to contend, how we contend is against false teaching. We contend against false teaching. Therefore, we must oppose false teaching. In his context, Jude is referring to false teaching and false teachers within the church. Within the church. Not without it. The worst doctrinal errors of our day are being taught within the professing church. Not without it. It is Christian teachers, dear believer, in our country right now, that are saying that Christ struggled with same-sex attraction because He was tempted in all ways, as we are, yet without sin. It is Christian teachers, professedly, saying that there are two Gospels, the Gospel of God's justice and the Gospel of His grace. It is Christian teachers saying that Christians must perfectly and completely and permanently repent of every known sin of theirs before they can be saved. That's coming out of professing Christians. And moreover, most of what I just listed is coming out of the Reformed camps, the Calvinistic camps. As I mentioned last week, when people think of Calvinism, they think of social justice, Black Lives Matter, cultural Marxism. Thanks to the Gospel Coalition and the heretics involved in it. One defining element of false teachers that we must look for is a denial of Jesus Christ and His Word. But as Jude lays out, another is a mixing of worldliness and sensuality with the Gospel. Look at verse 4 of Jude. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So they deny both true doctrine and true living. False teaching is also characterized by a constant unfoundedness. A constant unfoundedness. False teachers are never really certain what they believe. They're always changing their mind. Their doctrine changes or adapts from season to season. They are as children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, Ephesians 4:14). 4, they stain and they mar Christianity with their blasphemous doctrine and their ungodly living. Look at verse 12. They are spots in your feast of charity when, the, when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are, without water, carried about of winds. Trees whose fruit withereth. Without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. They are more concerned with pleasing men than pleasing God. Verse 16. says, They are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. What does that mean? That means that they hold the pleasing man as something greater than pleasing God. They want man's admiration, and they admire other men rather than sound doctrine. Thus, dear believer we see how necessary it is to contend for the truth. We must oppose false teaching. And we must war against it. This is not optional. But how shall we do this? That brings us to point three. Third, how saints contend. So how shall we do it? First, we must have sound doctrine. Now I know we touched on it a Briefly, but we must say a few more words because it is so important. It is important that we know what we believe and to labor to see if what we believe is contained in the Scriptures. Jude here puts us in remembrance, he says, of the Scriptures and exhorts us remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's verse 17. The doctrine found in the Bible is not man's words, but God's. 2 Timothy 3.16 All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. It's God's word. God's doctrines. So Christian, if you know what you believe, you will not be easily moved from the truth. At this church... You have a Bible to govern you, and a confession of faith to guide you. Submit yourself, therefore, to the teaching of Scripture, and you will not quickly or easily find yourself submitting to false teachings and caught up in error. You will be equipped and encouraged to contend for the truth. We contend for the truth by contending for the truth. I know many misguided Christians, many misguided believers, who have, for a decade or more now, rebuked me for being divisive because I contend for the doctrines of the Scriptures. Happens pretty frequently. But is it not true that they only act this way because they are ignorant or undecided? on the glorious truths of Christ? Yay. If you do not know what you are fighting for, dear Christian, you will fight for nothing. How do we contend for the faith? First, sound doctrine. Know what you believe. Secondly, through experiential Christianity. Experiential Christianity. What is the Holy Spirit doing within us? What does the Holy Spirit actually do in a Christian? That's the point and purpose of experiential preaching and experiential Christianity. Experiencing Christ, God, the Holy Spirit in our life. I saw a pastor, maybe he was a pastor in training at this time, and I've seen many other pastors do this, usually within the New Calvinist camp, who say, I really don't like application in preaching. I don't do application in preaching. I just let the Word speak for itself. I just preach doctrine and explain what the Word is saying and the Holy Spirit will apply it. Then you're not preaching. You're not doing anything at all. You're a clanging cymbal. The only kind of preaching is experiential preaching, applicatory preaching, practical preaching. We must not only know the Scriptures theoretically and intellectually, but experientially. The reason false teachers separate themselves from Christ and His Gospel is because, Jude says in verse 19, they are sensual, having not the Spirit. They do not know God. They do not possess the regenerating spirit of the Most High, the Holy Spirit, who is sent to all who truly believe by Jesus Christ. Thank God that such is not our case. Such is not our case. We not only know the scriptures which God has given, but we know the God of the scriptures. We know the God of the scriptures. In verses 20 and 21, Jude says this, But ye, beloved, building yourselves on the most holy faith, doctrine, praying in the Holy Ghost, true salvation, keep yourselves in the love of God, experience, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, doctrinally founded eschatological hope, experiential hope. So he combines the two previous ones together there. If you would turn with me, briefly, to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. Verses 19 and 20. Apostle Paul says this. For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ, Nevertheless, I live. Yet, not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. It is only by true, experiential knowledge of God that Paul could have said these words. He didn't just know about the doctrine... He lived it. He lived the doctrine. He knew it was true by experience. God worked experience within him. Within him. Christians must know God truly and experientially to be able to contend for the faith. Not merely not merely theoretical. Not merely intellectual systems, but true, soul-rooted, God-born experience. Life. Life. That's how a Christian in the midst of some trial can walk away knowing, I know that my God is with me. I know that my God is for me. He is my strong tower, my refuge, my life. And though I live in the flesh, yet I don't live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live by the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. That's how He can endure hardships, Paul. That's how He could endure persecutions. And that's how He learned to be content, both when he had and when he had not. We are deeply offended by falsehood when we experientially know the truth. Dear Christian, when we truly know, really and experientially, the truth of the Scriptures, the truths of Jesus Christ and His work and His person, we are all the more courageous in contending for the faith. Are we not? We become deeply offended at falsehood. And we are spurred on to defend it. John Calvin, again, was often faulted for being very haughty and too easily angered by error. And though he acknowledged this character flaw, he stated this. Does not even a dog bark when his master is attacked? A husband, we've got some husbands here, would not take kindly to a man who assaulted his wife. How much more Christians, when their God and Savior is assaulted. If we experientially keep ourselves in the love of God, meaning a continual meditation upon the work of Jesus Christ for us and in us, we will love the truth and we will hate error. Last aspect of how we contend for the truth is godly living. We contend for the truth by living for God, living according to his commandments. We demonstrate our love to him in this way. In Jude, godly living consists of a few particulars. First, turning away from wickedness and fleshly desires. Wickedness and fleshly desires. We are to hate, as he says in verse 23, even the garment spotted by the flesh. The false teachers loved their sin. And Jude's pointing this out. They loved their sensuality, they loved their wickedness. But we, as Christians, are to hate our sin. Our holy lifestyle will contend for the truth of Jesus Christ. How? Because it will make the doctrines which we proclaim evident. It will make them evident that they are true because they have such life-changing power. The truth of our doctrine will be seen in the fact that we shudder and we shout, God forbid, at the consideration that we should sin, that grace may abound, Romans 6.3. Next and last is a desire to reach the lost. That also is a contending. That's how we contend for the truth a desire to reach the lost, to bring the gospel of salvation to those who are in their sin or those who are caught in some deadly error. If you look at verses 22 and 23, Jude says this very thing. 22 and 23, he says, And of some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh on some have compassion meaning those who are struggling maybe those who are caught up in error but are truly a Christian and he says others save with fear pulling them out of the fire meaning they're caught up in some error they're unregenerate or they're just unsaved you're pulling them out of the fire saving them with fear knowing that you were once that way the fear of God save with fear we contend for the faith, dear congregation, by proclaiming it to those around us, by obeying Christ's commission of us, which many modern scholars say is not Scripture, that we go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Mark sixteen fifteen. What a convenient one to toss out. We have great encouragement to do this, dear congregation, knowing that the risen and reigning Christ is working through us in the preaching of His Gospel. Therefore, dear Christian, contend, earnestly contend for the truth. You will be mocked, you will be ridiculed, you will be falsely, you will be misrepresented, falsely accused, maybe even put to death. But, because of your experience of Jesus Christ, I mean, your true regeneration, the fact that you are Christ's, And what he has said is true will embolden you and empower you to go out and contend for the faith through holy living, proclamation of the gospel, and a resisting of falsehood. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we once again come before thee, O Lord. Please make us bold For Thee, Jesus, Holy Spirit, empower us. Teach us true doctrine. Help us to hold fast to that which Thou hast taught us. Help us to be brave and to love Thee, to know Thee experientially. In Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. Amen.